Well, the, we are, well, as you know, this, this class has to do with the eternal purpose of God, and we um, were specifically looking at the priesthood, um, and we're looking at the priesthood, in, well, in, you know, painting with broad strokes, but we're looking at the, the priesthood because it's in the priesthood that you see God's pictures of what Christ is doing in us and the nature of the relationship. Everybody uh, in the body of Christ is very quick to say, oh yeah, Christ is in me and, and I have a relationship with Christ. But very few understand, in my opinion at least, very few understand much of what that, relation, what that relationship is, what in the world is Christ doing in me. For for many, it's it's <clears throat> it's enough just to know that Christ is there, but He's there with a purpose. He's not just there to be there to you know to check in and uh, and hang out. He's there wanting to do something, and the thing that He's desiring to do in us it, internally, spiritually, is the very thing that He was doing externally and naturally in types and shadows in Israel, in the midst of his people. So that's why we're looking at the uh, that's why we're looking at the priesthood because and when I say priesthood, I just mean all of the things involved in the description of laws and ceremonies and sacrifices and purification and all these things involved that, uh, that describe what God was doing in the midst of his people. That's really what the priesthood is all about. It's the description of the relationship. Now, we read it and we see a bunch of things we don't understand, different kinds of offerings and 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 and, and strict rules about cleanliness and incense and stuff like that. But if if we have a, an eye to see past or through, not past, but through the window of those those types and shadows, what we're actually seeing is. To, to say it just really plainly, we're seeing what we're seeing the reason that God gave us His Son and what what He's doing, what He's doing in us. Okay, what He at least what He desires to do in us. Now that just like in all the parables, the the the, the, the growth of that seed depends on the condition of the soil, and it's very easy to um, it's very easy to not permit him to to do what he's there to do. Uh, we've talked about this before, but the living word, um, you know, it, it, it first of all it desires a place to to live in us. It's looking for a place, a resting place, a home, and so it it it, it bounces off that kind of soil which is hard, which is like a road or whatever. And, and but then once it's in, it's not. That's not the only thing it wants. It's like the farmer doesn't just want to plant a seed. I mean, first he's got to have ground that's soft enough for the so, for the for the seed to go in. But once it's in, that's not where the purpose stops. And of, of the farmer, the farm, and then the soil has to be that kind of soil that allows for a displacement, a division. You know, the living word divides, Paul said, or whoever wrote uh, Hebrews says, um, and and then begins to bring forth its its increase, put down its roots, 
and and come out in expression, reproduce the seed in the soil, and 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 that's all. Um, well, that, those are all just pictures of the same thing. But we talked about last time that for for many of us. We know that we have a relationship with Christ and we've experienced something real enough to make us certain that that is there, that that's real. But we, but, but I think that if you were to ask the, the, the standard Christian out there, you know, the average Christian, what is Christ doing in you? I think that they would say um, either I have no idea or they give some answer that has nothing to do with the pictures that God has given us in hundreds of pages of the, of, of the Old Testament. So we were looking at the priesthood as the, as the description of the things that are now fulfilled in Christ. And we said that, good morning, we said that, um, those shoes always get me. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we, we said that the fulfillment of anything has to do with well, the, the fulfillment in Christ. I mean, I, we have different natural meanings of every word, really. But the fulfillment of of everything in Christ has to do with... Is that a herd of elephants? <laughs> has to do with... A cha- well, it has to do with the arrival of the substance, the coming of the substance. In other words, there was a bunch of promises, a bunch of prophecies, a bunch of types and shadows and pictures. And but when when fulfillment happens, that means that the substance of which all those things spoke has has, has arrived. And that always involves a change in nature and place. The nature changes from the from the natural to the spiritual. The place changes from the external to the internal. That's what fulfillment's all about. It's the arrival of the substance in such a way that the nature and the place changes. And um, so we were looking last time. We looked at worship, okay? Because I, I said basically the three things that I think that that that. Well, the three things that you see the priest took, now, these are my three, and maybe there's five, or maybe there's 50, I don't know. But I, to me, in my mind, I, I see them divided up into three primary categories. What was the priesthood doing in the midst of Israel? Worship, ministry, and purification. Those are the three major categories that, that I understand. Uh, worship we looked at that not not as songs, um, and if you missed that last time, maybe it'd be good to go back and listen to that because not not that we're against songs, but but that songs don't define worship. The the worship that God received from Israel were the things that represented Christ. Christ's offering, Christ's sacrifice, Christ's fragrance, Christ being Christ being waved, presented somehow, and including songs later on with David, singing the David and the Levites singing the Psalms. But God was receiving His Son presented back to Him out from the midst of His people. So, um, so worship was defined by Christ, by Christ formed in and 
and given back to um, his father. And, and, and today what I want to do is I want to look at, if we have time, to look at the next two, ministry and purification. Um, ministry. Ministry is not, just like worship, uh, ministry is another word that I feel like is so full of natural definitions and uh, wrong understandings that I almost wish we could just pick a new word, just make up a word, you know? Um, because uh, um, I, I looked on a website, I just typed into Google, I said, our ministries, and it popped up were a bunch of church names, I figured it would, that had a list of the, the available ministries um, at that at those churches. So I, I clicked on the first one, and it, and I just, <laughs> it just said, here's a list of our ministries that, that, that people can get involved in at that church. And there was... Um, this is from one one church website. Website uh, guest welcome team, worship team, children's ministries, youth ministries, men's ministries, women's ministries, widows, widowers ministry, single parent ministry, cancer survivors ministry, coffee fellowship ministry, Sunday morning setup ministry, prayer ministry, kitchen team ministry, cookie ministry, which I I like that one, recycling. Recycling God's Resources Ministry. I'm not exactly sure what that was about. Disaster Relief Ministry. Financial Counseling Ministry. Accounting Team for Offerings Ministry. Volunteer Ministries. Missions. Homeless. Library. Physical Labor. Landscaping. Facilities Maintenance Ministry. I mean, all these things. And they're all ministries. So, and um, except for the cookie ministry, that's all wrong. No, no. I, the, the the problem is that man. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Ryan brought cookies the day that I'm talking about the cookie ministry. But uh, but the, the the problem isn't that not, these things are bad. The problem is that we're defining ministry by any and everything that man does or thinks he does for a spiritual reason. Okay? Including parking lot maintenance or anything that has to do with the church or people that go to a church or things that happen in or around a church. Those are how we're defining ministry. Now, in the priesthood, what we see is that the ministry that was happening had to do with with the presence of God becoming a reality and an experience for the for the house of Israel. Okay? So it was through the priesthood that, that Israel could experience their relationship with God, whether that was things like the forgiveness of God or the love of God, the presence of God, the power of God, the truth of God, whatever it is, it was something no other nation had. The priesthood was the 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 way by which uh without I mean without the priesthood, Israel was unable to experience the, the creator of the world. And and it was through the priesthood that they were able to and and the the def, the thing that made ministry ministry was the experience of God. One aspect or another of God. They could be doing 
every kind of sacrifice, offering, whatever, feast, you name it. And if God was not being experienced by the people, then there was no ministry happening whatsoever. So, so, so the pre, the, 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 I guess you could say it, the priesthood was bringing the presence of God in many ways, or ex, I don't want to say bringing, because it wasn't like it was far away, but, but at least bringing into their experience the, the presence of God. And, and today, um, I just, I just, I was part of several ministries, and 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 for a number of years, I you know I I created a few of my own, which was a greater source of pride, I think, than anything else. Having my own ministry or running a ministry was was you know, or being handed over the keys to a ministry was kind of cool, you know. And and and, and I, I can look back at those things now and say that though I'm not saying the Lord couldn't have used you know the fact, I mean I was reading the Bible and some of them, so the Lord could certainly use that, I guess, but. For the most part, these things were, were creations of my own imagination. Now, I suppose you could call worship a ministry. I mean, you could say that worship is ministry towards God and, and ministry is worship towards people. But, um, again, I, wanted to fi- I, want, I want us to realize that if there was no genuine experience of God in Israel then it wasn't ministry. Ministry was, this is what I wrote here, ministry was defined by the presence and experience of something of God and not by the activities themselves. So any of the priests could have been extremely busy in roles, but if God wasn't blessing, forgiving, strengthening, bringing victory, healing, what all these different things that you see purifying, whatever, through the pictures of the priesthood, then absolutely nothing of ministry was actually happening. Now, it's the same, it's the exact same with us. Because we now are the temple of a new high priest, we should uh, be experiencing, knowing the ministry of that high priest, both towards us individually and through us to other members of the Lord's body. And if that presence, that light, that truth, that healing, that whatever, all the fulfillments of those types and shadows in Old Covenant Israel uh, are not taking place in us. In other words, unless the person is being presenced, so to speak. And I'm not, I'm not talking about signs and wonders here, uh, although I'm not excluding them either, because anything that has Christ as its source and substance uh, is, is ministry. But, but it has to be the presencing or bringing Christ into experience, bringing Christ into view, bringing... Uh, forming Christ in his body, excluding all else. I guess you could say I'm talking about the power of the resurrected life of Christ now filling and living in his body and what happens towards that end within the body. Both, again, directly from the high priest himself to our soul and through us 
to the body, which is still the work of the high priest and that person that we're ministering to. So well, we, we get to participate in that, in that thing. We don't have the slightest ability to minister in ourselves. We don't have, we don't have that ability. It's not something that you can't just decide to minister. And I know that that's exactly what we do, but you can't. I mean, you can in the imagination of your mind, but you can only minister. I wrote here, we can offer the church the measure of Christ that has been formed in us and absolutely nothing else. That's, that's the, me- the measure of ministry is the measure of Christ that we are seeing and experiencing. That's what we have to offer. I remember when I moved to Costa Rica and I first got there, and I was sitting there, I was talking to the Lord, kind of like, I mean, I knew I was supposed to go there, but I was like, I just, what am I doing here? You know, why, why do I need to? You know, and, 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 and I just, it just hit me so clearly that I had no other goal, no other objective, nothing to measure anything about my involvement in Costa Rica. The only, there was only one single reason I was there, and that was to share the measure of Christ that was real in me, period. Whether anyone hears it or not, whether anyone cares or not, whether, whether it's, the, the group is bigger or smaller when I leave. You know, that, 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 that was, I mean, I felt like the Lord just took that right out of my heart, and I never had an expectation about those things. And so um, I was never really excited about things that were going well naturally or, or disappointed when people were leaving. Um, and, and because I just saw the singleness of it. You have nothing to offer Costa Rica. Nothing. Get it out of your head. Except to proclaim the greatness of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Except to proclaim the light that you're now... Uh, um, experiencing it, and, and I and I could have said to them, I didn't, but I could have said, I can offer you only the measure of Christ that the high priest has made real in my soul. That's it. And and that's what Paul ministered. Paul would never, and and and, and he was very strong in his language about this. He would never have tried to offer the church the best of Paul. In fact, he was afraid that that was happening in some places. He was, a, he was nervous that he would nullify the cross by offering them something of himself. Even something that's, that looks good, like man's wisdom and, and knowledge or, or man's power to convince. He didn't want it to be anything of him. And, and so he was in fear and trembling about those kinds of things. I have a few verses I wrote down here. Um, 1 Corinthians 15... 10, he says, by the grace of God, that is God's working in him, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. In uh, Colossians 1.29, you don't have to follow me here, I'm going to go kind of quick through some of these, I'm going the wrong way. Colossians 1.29, again, you see Paul's Heart here. Here it is. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. That was that was ministry for Paul. Ephesians 3. Uh, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. According to the power that works within us. Philippians 2.13 is the one that says, without looking at it, it's one that says, For God is 
the one who both uh, works in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Um, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Now that's the one where it said, he says, you know, that uh, apart, that he's, he boasts in his own weaknesses so that the power of God, the grace of God, is the, that the, the operating reality in him. So, ministry does not, we should not define ministry by what we do, where we do it, or how many people are involved. That's not ministry. It's not defined by activities, by words, by places, or by participants. Ministry is the measure of Christ offered to the Lord's body wherever we are, with whatever we're doing, and whoever happens to be there. You see what we've done? We've totally taken it out of Christ, like we do with everything else. We take it out of Christ, and we define it by a bunch of man stuff, man-centered stuff. You know, big buildings, big bank accounts, big crowds, you know, big natural giftings, communication giftings, or whatever. And we call all that stuff ministry, and the one thing that's absent is the only thing, usually the thing that's absent is, is the one thing that defines ministry. The true knowing and, 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 and offering of something truly Christ. So, okay, purification. How much time do I have here? Yeah, I got time. All right. There's a bunch of laws. So again, just to review, what's Christ doing in me? I believe he is offering up a pleasing fragrance to his Father, causing my soul to become that altar on which the the fragrance is offered to his Father. In fact, I think that I think that you can make a very strong case that, um, in a sense, we are the altar in, in, in Scripture, uh, made of earth, always made of earth, made of something of the earth, um, upon which God receives his, his fragrance, the fragrance of Christ. And, and it echoes from the beginning in Exodus all the way to, the, um, all the, way to Revelation, where the, where are the, where are the souls in Revelation. They're right in the altar, you know. And um, and from that altar, God receives a fragrance. But, um, purification, okay, so, worship, uh, ministry, what's Christ doing in you? He's trying to, um, he's, he's, he's trying to minister the life of Christ in you and through you to his body. And what's he, what was the third thing he's doing? He's he's purifying. Now now that's a word again that we don't talk as much about purification as we do about ministry and worship. I think in the church, um, we do talk about sanctification, or which is kind of in a lot of ways the same thing sometimes, but it's still not as popular as um, the other the other two, but there, there was a bunch of laws in the priesthood that, that fall under the category of God cleaning his people, God purifying his people. And and these were all, just like the other two, these were all natural things that were going on, natural cleansies, cleansings, um, purifyings that pointed to a much more real and internal, again, the change is from 
natural to spiritual, external to internal. That's what the change of, of covenant is. That's the that's what fulfillment is all about. So the cleansing of the outer man and all the many pictures, especially in Leviticus. Leviticus really f- focuses on cleaning cleaning the flesh, really. Cleaning the, the people from flesh. Um, the those find their fulfillment in the in what Paul calls, or the, the whole New Testament in various ways, calls the purifying of the conscience, or the removal from you of the residue of the Adamic man. He's made a new crea- creation. He's baptized you into his death, raised you in his life, and made a new creation out of his own side. You know, he made an Eve out of his own rib. And yet, there's this process by which God removes the residue of Adam, his thinking, his understanding, his darkness from the soul of the believer. And to really understand, I think, God's perspective of this, you have to we have to go back a little bit and remind ourselves what's what's Israel? You know, is Israel a bunch of believers? Not from God's perspective. Israel is my son, even my firstborn. So Israel is the corporate body of, of Christ, you know, before the cross in types and shadows, after the cross in spirit and truth. But it's always, Israel's always been this corporate body. It's not, not, not many, but really one. It, that's how God sees it. God sees it as one sharing the life of, I mean, many sharing the life of one. Well, no, one living in many. It's better to say it that way, I think. You know, and David got in trouble once for trying to count them as many when God saw them as one. But, it's important to see. It's important to see the, the 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 big picture of Israel, my son, because usually when we think of purification, we think of ourselves being cleaned from something that isn't good or right. And though there is truth in there, in the mind of the Lord, purification is is defined by eliminating that which isn't Christ. Or the removal from Israel of everything that came out from the flesh. In other words, to put it in stronger language, God isn't really purifying you. God is purifying the body of Christ from you. Give that a second to sink in because that's strong language, but it's... But it's it's true and the pictures of it are unmistakable. It's kind of the difference between... Like, like, okay, let's say I have a big cancerous lump right here on my arm. i got to be careful doing this because one time I gave this analogy and there was someone right there. Remember <laughs> that, Julie? Yes, it was embarrassing. But, um, but anyway, let's just say that someone has a big cancerous lump right here on their arm. Now, there's a difference between washing that tumor, cleansing the tumor itself, and cleansing the body from the tumor. Do you see? That's kind of the difference I'm talking about here. We're not. It's not about shining up that tumor, you know, or getting some dirt off of it. It's about cleansing the whole body so that anything that's living in that body that's actually contrary to the life of that body. That's what that's what tumors are. I mean, that's what can't. That's what diseases are. Diseases are weird because they're alive. But they're contrary to the life of the body. They have they have life, and and they're in the body, and they're part of the body. 
but they're killing the body. And that's kind of a weird thing about disease. But that's, but that's a perfect picture of, um, of, of basically what flesh does in the Lord's body. It has kind of a life of its own. I mean, it's connected to the Lord's body. It's not... Because through our because of our earthen bodies, it's connected to the Lord's body. You know, we we can bring our we can't really bring our flesh into Christ, but we certainly can bring it into the church. I mean, into the into the church building at least, into into relationships that we have with people, into into our interactions with people. So we are uh, we're the source of the uncleanness. We're the contagion, okay? We bring our unrenewed mind into Christ and we keep trying to live in the lie while we are in Christ. We, we keep trying to add to Christ all that we had and knew in Egypt. We, and this is exactly what Israel did. I mean, you can't deny it. What did they do when they came out of Egypt? You know, they, started, they tried to keep relating to God according to the own, their imaginations that made sense and in Egypt, you know, that's why they made a golden calf and not a golden monkey, because they worshipped cows in Egypt. But th- that was what they knew. And not just the golden calf, every single thing that they thought and they, they, they tried to bring into that relationship was unclean. And, and so God begins in the in the relationship. God begins to show Israel that the fountainhead of all uncleanliness is the natural man, is the flesh, the flesh that is still trying to live after the judgment of God that says, "Not I, but Christ." The flesh that's still trying to introduce into this corporate body things that God has judged and put away from this corporate body. That's what's going on, and so. Purification is this cleaning of the residue again of the first man that keeps working in us because of lack of tr- lack of light. Okay, it's it's not really working in Christ, but it's working in us who are in Christ. Or I don't know how to say that very well because it, it says you can't really contaminate Christ. But but in the darkness of our unrenewed mind, that contamination still is our experience. So God brings them out of Egypt, ends their relationship with Pharaoh. Nevertheless, they keep trying to relate to God in and according to their own understanding. They keep trying to live in and by a man that God left behind in Egypt. And whenever they did this, God used words to describe it like uncleanness or uncleanliness or, or, or sin or abomination or filth or, you know, he uses this kind of language. And and so I mean, on the board, I'm not going to draw it again, but on the board last time I drew that pick that you know uh, gingerbread man type thing, and and how Israel was this corporate body, and 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 they were inventing, they were trespassing the boundaries of the law, of the descriptions of Christ, of the pictures of Christ. They were trespassing those boundaries, inventing their own kinds of worship. I mean, not just the golden calf. They did it right after that with the sons of Korah. Remember, they, they had their own ideas about worship, and they, the two sons of Aaron had, they had their own ideas about what kind of fire they could use for the, for the offering. And, uh, and, and, and so they were inventing their own ideas of ministry and worship and, and purification and, and, and the, the nature of those things. And God was just cutting those things off left and right because there was something, there was something, now here's the key, there was something living 
in their minds, in their consciences, that was not alive to God. Something that God had already killed was not yet dead in their hearts. And that's the problem. So what did Israel need? Israel needed to be purified of everything that they called life that was actually death, that was actually cancer, that was actually disease, leprosy. Leprosy. And I don't think, I mean, at least I read this once, um, when we think of leprosy today, we think of anything that, uh, we, we, no, we think of a specific leprosy, a very specific thing. But I, I, as far as I can understand from, from, from what I read, and, and this doesn't really make or break the point, but uh, lep- leprosy, the word leprosy there in, uh, in, in, you find in Leviticus is, is basically just any infectious skin disease. It's not just, because sometimes they were, you know, we, we always talk about leprosy as the, I don't know, I picture the, that movie I saw once with a bunch of lepers in a cave with like their body parts falling off and screaming unclean, you know, and no one wants to go near them. But um, it's any, anything unclean that grows on the flesh, that spreads in the flesh. <clears throat> and um, so, God, so here's what I want you to understand about purification, is that God set up the high this is and this was all the job of the priesthood okay not just the high priest there was different jobs i mean there were some guys that were um that were cleaning i mean some i mean i say guys i mean levites there were some priests who were burning houses that had fungus growing in them that were spreading there were somewhat some priests that were um checking sores to see if they had scabs and white hairs and if they were spreading. And there were some that were taking, going outside of the camp to clean people that they could come back in the camp. And they were using the ashes of the red heifer or they were using um, the, the bowl with the two birds in it. One of them was dead, one was alive and the blood. And I'm, I don't know if I'll get into all the de- I probably won't get into all the details of those. But they were basically applying the cross... To all uncleanliness in Israel, whether it was a picture of fire or the ashes of the red heifer or water or whatever, they were applying the cross to everything that came out from the flesh. And guys, it was everything. It wasn't just, I mean, in some cases it was acts against God or words against God or acts against their neighbor or words against their neighbor. But sometimes it was just natural bodily fluids. Anything or, or or diseases or secretions. I mean, that's kind of a gross word, but th- that actually gets into that for several chapters. Anything that had as its origin flesh made you unclean. Even natural uh, cycles or natural things, they still made you unclean, made you be, have to offer a sacrifice, made you have to wash with pure water. What's the point? The point is that whether it's a word that comes out of your mouth or a coveting that comes out of your heart or uh, 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 some kind of pus or something that comes out of your sore, if it came out of flesh, it makes you unclean. And the, and the priesthood has to deal with it. What does the priesthood do to deal with it? First of all, he tries to protect other other people in the church from catching it because it's a very dangerous whatever comes out of your flesh can actually grow in someone else now that's something that we need to 
think about in the body of Christ because we're spreading around a lot of flesh. We're not, we're not isolating that flesh, keeping it to itself and letting the Lord... Di- That's what Paul says about that one guy. And, you know, he says, I, you know, he says it with several, several, about several people, but in one particular instance, he says, look, cut that guy off, give him off to, give him to Satan, you know. Uh, and, and hopefully, the, the, though his, though he, you know, how does it say his, his flesh is destroyed, his spirit is preserved or something like that. But I think he's speaking specifically with reference to these pictures here. You know, let let the flesh be destroyed so that the heart finds its way back into the camp and uh, and, and back into fellowship. And it's interesting, too, that when, when God um, sends someone outside of the camp, um, most of the time it's not permanent. Now, there are some things that were done that if they did them, they were sent out of the camp permanently. They're done. They're out of they're out of Israel. Sometimes they were killed. Most of the time, though, for for these kind of things, they had to go outside of the camp until they were clean. Now, if that was a if it was a case of leprosy, the priest would go out like every seven days and check on the the situation. And, and God wasn't dealing with them according to um, medicine. And I mean, they didn't get leprosy because they just happened to uh, you know catch a virus. They got leprosy. The catching of leprosy and the dealing with leprosy all had to do with their walking in covenant or not walking in covenant. Diseases weren't random in Israel like they are now. God was dealing with Israel in a very specific way according to uh, types and shadows of Christ. So it was when they broke covenant that they got these things. And it was when they restored themselves through some view of Christ to the covenant that those things were going away. It was all very... Intentional. It was all. It wasn't. It wasn't. There was no randomness about it. If 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 leprosy spread from flesh to flesh, you know that was something going on internally, and or, or that was something going on with with regard to their keeping covenant. And there's so many pictures that we have to realize. I mean, whether it's remember the the whole. This is a weird one, but if the woman if the woman committed adultery and the man didn't know for sure, then she had to take some of the dirt. This is such a strange story, but. Same, same kind of picture. Took some of the dirt from the temple, put it in some water and drank it. And if she had committed adultery, her, her womb would dry up. Her stomach, what does it say? Something swelled. I think her thigh swelled. Or, no, is that right? Something about a thigh. There's a thigh in there. But, uh, and the stomach. And, then, and she was unable to produce children. So, and, and, but if she hadn't committed adultery, she drank that water and she was fine. But it was the... It was the the dirt from the temple, from the presence, or the dust from the temple, from the presence of God, doing that. Or in other cases, um, well, like Miriam. Remember, Miriam spoke against uh, Moses, and and, and and in a sense, the the, the priesthood, um, and she immediately became leprous, white as snow. Remember that story. Um, and, and so what I'm trying to say is that it wasn't just bad luck when people got leprosy. It was a breaking of covenant. And God would deal with that according to some view of the cross that could cleanse that person and bring them back into fellowship. And he would say, oftentimes he would say, separate that person from my tabernacle. Or it would say, "Restore that person to fellowship in my tabernacle." You know, so it was it was a it was a cutting off or bringing back or cleansing that had to do with a, an experience of fellowship. 
All right, where am I in my notes here? Um, yeah, okay, so they... Well, let, 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 let me read here. You know, i got to wrap this up here, but... Uh, John 13. There's a great picture of this in John 13. It's something that, once again, we, we in our misunderstandings, we've made it totally natural. About We've made it about literally washing feet <clears throat> when it's not really about washing feet. John 13. So, he okay, so Jesus, he pours water. Remember this? He, the, the, it's, it's during the Last Supper, and he pours water into a basin. He begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with this towel, which is actually a linen. He grabs a, a, a white linen, not just a towel. The, the, the literal translation of that is linen. And I, that's important because that's just part of the, the garb of the, high, of the priest. But um, he came to Simon Peter, and Simon said, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do to you, you don't understand now but you will understand hereafter peter said to him never shall you wash my feet jesus said if i don't wash your feet you have no part with me and then simon peter said to him lord then wash not only my feet but also my hands and my head i love peter jesus said to him he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet and is but is completely clean and you are clean but not all of you and he was talking about the um judas right um well, the disciples were clean because of the word that they had received. And from God's perspective, the cross was just about to make them truly clean according to a finished work. But someone that's taken a bath, though he be clean, only needs to wash the part of him that touches the earth. The part of him that has the residue of the wrong creation, the residue of the earth on it that's been affected by the dirt. And they didn't understand that, and we don't understand it still. But to love each other, they had to wash, they had to help wash each other from the from the thing that was affected by the earth, by the dirt, by the everything that belonged to the realm of, of Adam. And that's what's going on in Israel. I'm trying to speedily wrap this up here because we're running out of time, but purification was the cleaning of every single thing that came from the flesh, everything that didn't represent Christ all and in all. And and and, and obviously in the old covenant that was a bunch of natural pictures that didn't change the heart. It was a bunch of natural cleansings that were all pictures of an internal cleansing. Uh, that's the work of the new high priest. And, 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 and God is so careful. And these, these long, what we often call boring stories of, of describing cleaning these random things. Which, the, by the way, which the Pharisees in Jesus' day had totally missed the point on. They had totally misunderstood it and made it. They had added like 615 new rules of washings that they had to keep. It's literally something like that. I forget how many it is, but it's some huge new thing that part of their part of their tradition had been adding all these new things that needed to be washed and cleansed because they were all looking to clean things instead of understanding what it was pointing to. And Jesus said, "It's not even the what. It's not even what comes into a body that makes it unclean. It's what comes out, pointing again to the inner man." You know. But they miss that, and 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 unbelievably, we still miss it. Even though Christ and and the apostles make the whole thing inward so clearly, um, and the purification that's going on now is the fulfillment of 
those external pictures. And if and if you didn't just see that from all the places, well, so many different places, you can just read it. I'm just going to read. I mean, we could read a bunch of places here, but um, I wrote down more than I'm going to read. But let me just read a couple from Hebrews and we'll stop. Okay, Hebrews nine eight. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices were offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to conscience. And when you think of the word conscience, don't think of... I mean, a lot of times we use the word conscience and it kind of means um, just like feeling guilty or not guilty, like a guilty conscience, but... I think that word is used speaking just basically about the inner man as opposed to the outer man, you know, the conscience. So he says that that was concerned only with food and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the red heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Or later, Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the, the holy, holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. So... Um, well, there's lots of other details we could talk about here, but um, the old covenant priesthood was a picture, an external picture of cleansing that corresponds to something that Christ is doing or wants to do in you. He wants to cleanse you from an evil conscience to serve the living God. He wants to remove from you the residue of a man that cannot serve God. The darkness and of uh, and, the, and the unrenewed mind of that man, and, and you know, and you could ask, what are, what are the man? I want to I want to be cleansed from dead works. What are the dead works? They're everything that comes out from a dead man. So you can't just cleanse a few works. You got to you got to put off the old man together with his works, as Paul says. Put off the old man together with his deeds, together with his desires. All right, I'll stop with that. See if there's any. Comments, questions. Okay, I got one already here.